Okay, well, I appreciate the opportunity um, to come and share um, in front of you about what God is doing in my life. Uh, originally, we were going to have Sharon and myself share, like we did a couple of months back, about uh, different things. But Sharon, and, well, Sharon didn't get sick, but some of the kids got sick this week. And so she is at home right now taking care of the um, home front, sick front. So if you remember, please pray for her. Um, but I'm going to take the full time this morning because of that. So this morning, I wanted to just um, share what God has been working on me in my life this year. You know, he, he brings many things to light throughout the year through circumstances and other areas. And, um, but one of the main things that he's been showing me this year is worry and um, the consequences of worry and worry and anxiety. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, I, I thought oh, I could label this sermon worry and why I like it because I seem to spend so much time doing it. But that, that's not what I want to share about. Um, I want to share about um, just some reflections that God has shown me as I've kind of wrestled with this sin to put it out from me. Um, why it's a dangerous sin and why dam- the damages that can come from it and other consequences. So um, I think initially when the Lord brought it to light, um, I, I was thinking, in the area of lust and pornography, I was thinking, Lord, thank you for protecting me from that. Um, I can fall into that just as easily as um, anybody, but I have not by the grace of God. And, um, but I felt, I've seen the consequences, not personally, but individually. And I'm so grateful uh, for Sharon reminding me that um, that's a better rattlesnake, so you don't want to go there. But as I was thinking about that, the Lord kind of, and you know, I can, I've had the privilege to work with some, some men and the Lord kind of turned it around on me and said, okay, well, what about worry? You know, you, you worry a lot, and um, is that any better than lust? And I think, well, worry, you know, that's not bad. And you just worry, and it's okay. But, um, but the Lord kind of, kind of revealed more and more as I wrestled with it that, uh, that worry can be just as big a problem as lust can be. Um, so what is worry? Uh, the definition is to think about problems or fears, to feel or show fear or concern because you think that something bad has happened or could happen. So half of the definition is something that has not happened, but you're thinking it could happen. And so right there, right off the bat, you're violating one of the first um, principles, in, well, not one of the first principles, but one of the principles in Scripture that God calls us to do. He calls us to meditate on things that are pure, holy, just, and a good report. In Philippians um, 4, 8, um, as, as, as a principle there that this, when you worry, you don't do that. And the Lord kind of showed me that right off the bat. It's a, it's a spiritual consequence right there. And John MacArthur in his book, um, Anxious for Nothing, is a very good book about worry, has several consequences of worry. One is it strikes at the character of God. You're saying, when you worry, you say, I can trust you, Lord, in all these areas, but not this one right here that, that I'm thinking about so much and I'm trying to um, you know, sort out on my own. And second, it strikes at the truth of the Bible. Meditate on things that are holy, pure, just, and a good report. And, but Lord, I, I want to meditate on that, but I have five children. And we got baby number six coming next month. And you know, there's a lot of issues on the table, and so I got to think about it. I got to sort all these things out. So I'm, I'm, that, that's that's going against the truth of the Bible when I do that. And finally, it, held, it holds us captive to circumstances. We trust God that He has saved us um, from hell, 
and we're going to heaven in the end. But these little circumstances that come through life, we can't trust him for that. And it, it just holds us captive to every little circumstance that come in that rocks the boat. Um, so, so there's probably more. You can probably think of a lot more than that. But, you know, perhaps one and two is enough. It strikes at the character of God, and it strikes at the truth of the Bible. That's kind of the foundation of our um, faith. And so Satan knows when he can get us to do that, he, he erodes the foundation. So those are some spiritual consequences of worry. Um, the physical consequences of worry are many. One is um, it affects the heart, heart disease. It can cause stress and pressure on the heart. Um, it affects your immune system. When you're going through worry, you, you're, you're susceptible to more illness and disease. And uh, even if it affects your digestive system and your nervous system. So there are many physical sides of it as well that are um, consequences of worry. So we can see that worry is, is just as bad as lust, anger, and the other sins, but perhaps not, it's not given as big a bill um, because people just, it's so easy to do. And you don't have to look at a screen. You just kind of do it, and, and nobody really knows what you're doing. Um, I think maybe to put, to kind of give a good picture to it is um, this, the sermon that Scott Brown gave uh, a couple months, I guess it was a month back, about pride and how pride is the yellow that can stain um, our life in many areas. Well, when I come in from work, and Sherry can look on my face and tell me and tell if I've been worrying, if I haven't been overcoming, if I haven't been an overcomer. So worry kind of gets you down, gets you um, feeling down, and gets you feeling sad, gets you in the blues. So if pride is the yellow that stains a lot of areas, worry is the blue that breaks our fragile existence in this world and, and blue that knocks our family, our hope, our health, and many other areas. So we, we know that worry is bad. We has consequences. So what do we do about it? Um, so if we can turn to the scripture right now in Matthew six twenty five through 33. I'm read that real quick. And some of this, it might, have been, it might be a um, review for you, but may the Lord... Allow you to be blessed by hearing it again and allow you to see something that you hadn't seen before. So in Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statute? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into heaven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So as I meditated on that chapter, just um, several things stood out to me. And um, the first one was that who is our Heavenly Father? Who feeds us? You know, a lot of times you, you come and you pray and, and say, Dear Lord, you know, protect us from danger. But... Who are you praying to? Do we really think of who is in heaven? And I think what helped me is, as, as Job's, as, as it says in Job's thirty-seven fourteen, 
Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the works of the Lord. So let's take a couple minutes, and if you can turn over to Isaiah 40, and, and let's consider the works of the Lord. Isaiah 40 and verse 12. Isaiah 40, 12. Um, well, I think, I think what the Lord showed me first in this chapter, the, the, the famous verse from this chapter is, is verse 31. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I thought about this chapter, that's the verse I've always thought about. But I've never really studied the rest of the part of the chapter. And it, and it shows the powerful God and that we serve and that we pray to. In verse, in verse 12 again, Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand? Who has measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? So God measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. In Psalms 37, 7, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays the deep in storehouses. And, you know, perhaps when you're, when you're reading that in the morning, you're kind of half asleep and you read it and say, okay, that's good, and you go about your day. Um, but well, a little creation study to it perhaps puts the amazing part of it to that, um, brings a perspective on the vastness of the waters that he puts in the storehouses. So, um, well, my question was, what is the deepest part of the ocean? But Christopher gave it away by showing the slide. So um, if you can see the writing, it's the Mariana Trench right there off the coast of the Philippines. And the, it is 43 miles wide, 1,580 miles long, five times the length of the Grand Canyon, and you can fit Mount Everest in it and still have a mile of water on top of it. It's 36,000 feet deep, and that's uh, flying level for jet airplanes. And so it's just, I was just like, okay, wow, that God, and that's only a part of the ocean. And I think, okay, that my God has that in his hands. You know, all the waters, in, in the, puts the waters in the storehouses. So that's like, okay, I'm starting to get the God I serve. So going on in Isaiah um, 40 and verses 21, I think, you know, sometimes when, when I worry, God knows that I'm going to do it, and so he has to tell me several times to let me hear it. In verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And when I hear that, I, I, okay, now I know why I have to tell my kids four times to do something. Because they don't, you know, they're not listening on the first time. And I'm the same way when God's telling me, hey, why are you worrying? Uh, have you not home, known, heard, and seen that I'm in charge here and I'm going to bring you through? And in verse 22, um, it says, it's he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Well, I really like that verse because a lot of days I got the grasshopper feeling. You know, you wake up and you feel really small. And I see my kids go after grasshoppers, and, and they can, you know, smush them and, and get after them. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, God is doing that to me with the grasshoppers, with the grasshopper feeling and analogy. So that was... Encourage and say, okay, well, God is bigger than us. Um, and in verses 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them all by name, 
by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So you have many, um, in talking about the stars of the heaven that God puts up there, not one is missing. Here's a good picture kind of give us a perspective of he knows every single one of them. There's a lot of estimates about um, who... Uh, about the number of the stars, and the scientists go back and forth. Of course, they're never going to know. But the latest estimate, and my children like for me to write on a uh, chalkboard, so I can see if I can do this for the kids' benefit here. Yeah, I think I got that right. That's 300 sextillion is the latest estimate of the stars that they say can be counted, I guess, if, if they're counting them. Um, but what, what encourages me about that is God has them all in order. He has, he, and he places them in order, and he keeps them in order. And we can say, oh, okay, we serve not just a big God, but a powerful God and a majestic God. And so I'm starting to say, okay, Lord, this is, this is who I pray for. This is why I don't have to worry, is because I serve a powerful God. And so a little bit of meditation kind of helps the mind grasp it a little better. So but that's God, but how does he relate back to us? Okay, that's you, God, and we're the grasshoppers, and, and how do you relate to us? Well, going back in Matthew... Um, there in the same verse verses 26 it says your heavenly, yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they we are, more va- we are of more value than the lilies um, God in, in Psalms 33:14, he fashions all our hearts individually and he considers all our works in Psalms 33:18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy. So what connects us from him, what connects from him to us is his mercy. What is his mercy? His mercy is the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And that's the connection from a big, powerful, majestic God to us. And in Colossians, in a, in a, in a chapter area that I haven't really noticed before, but Christ is talking about, um, well, he's talking about Christ, who fa- the Father has sent. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 15. We can turn there in just a second. And this little section is talking about the preeminences of Christ and, and who Christ is. But what I focused in on and, and, and understanding the connection from a powerful God to us was verse 12, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. So he's put us, he's put us on the team. This, this big God, this powerful, um, majestic God, wants us to be part of his kingdom, wants us to be part of his life. For that, we can just you know, stop there and say, hey, that, we can rejoice and go on. And, and so the worry starts to fade. Um, I think... As Martin Lord Jones talks about in his book *Spiritual Depression*, which is a, is a good one that uh, Granddaddy has recommended several times, he says, "I do not care what the circumstances may be. The Christian should never be agitated. The Christian should never be 
beside himself like this. The Christian should never be at his wit's end. The Christian should never be in a condition which he has lost control of himself. Because we have the gospel. We have the hope. So we should never be, feel like we're on the losing team. Um, in the last, I guess, I'm not sure if it was the last year or not, but some of you know Christopher Hitchings, the atheist, the prominent atheist that died, raising his fist to God. And I was like, wow, Lord, I, I'm not going to die like that. You gave me the light. And not anything I did, you gave me the light. Or um, another prominent figure that died was Hugo Chavez, the president of Venezuela, the communist leader, allegedly, allegedly pleading for his life. And so I think, wow, Lord, you know, I, when I die, I can swing out into eternity with the hope of the gospel in my hand. So that is just, that's, that's encouraging. And worry begins to lose lose its power and lose its strength as you meditate that we are serving a big God and that he wants a relationship with us and it's the gospel and he has put us on the team. So going on, if you can go back to Matthew um, 6 there, just just going through some reflections that God showed me in this chapter. Um, I think the next reflection would be kind of the obvious is in verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Um, you can't do anything about it. it you know, it's not going to change anything about worry. It's just going to hurt you as we see the spiritual consequences and the physical consequences. It's going to hurt you. And I, I've read that book, many, I've read that verse uh, many times, but Luke kind of helps it there. Luke 12, um, 26 says, If you're not able to do the least of these, then why worry about the rest? I was like, okay, that makes sense to me. I mean, if I can't do food and clothing and the little things, then why am I worrying about health, job, security, you know, everything else that Satan tries to pile on the table? So that's kind of an obvious um, point there that God shows to us. And going on down, we ask ourselves, what things are we seeking after? Um, In verse 32, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, what were they seeking after? Back up in verse 31. Do not worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? Or what should we wear? Or what should we, you know, our clothing. Um, that's what the Gentiles seek after. And there are many uh, definitions, but um, one I like that John MacArthur puts in his footnote is that the Gentiles in this verse are referenced to people outside of the promise, people that don't have the hope, which is not us. We have the hope. We're in the promise. And God um, has further clarified it in Luke 10:41, where uh, Martha was going around the house and working and getting things ready, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha came in and said, "Mary, uh, said, "Lord, you know, why can't Mary come help me?" And then the Lord responds with, in Luke 10, let me read that. You, you can go there, Luke 10, 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, why are you worried and troubled about many things? And so she had it all on the plate. And, and, and you know, she was worried about a lot of stuff. And so it's, it's kind of... It kind of brings the point, what are we focusing on? Where are we um, putting our hope? The God who holds the waters in his hands, the God who holds the stars in place, can put the meal together as Martha wanted, can give us food, clothing, health, job, security. He can put it all together. 
um, in his timing and on his plan. And so what, should, what does the scripture say for us to do? He can hold it together. What are we to do? Um, we can see that answer in, back in Matthew 6. Sorry about jumping around so much, but there's a, just a lot of verses the Lord showed me. But Matthew 6 um, and verses 33. Maybe keep your hand on the Luke there because there's another verse I want to talk about there. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be added unto you. And then back in Luke, in verses 10, 42, um, it says, But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So if we seek the things of the Lord, all these things will be added to us, job, health, security, and we don't have to worry about them. And if we... um, and, and Mary shows us that all these things will be added to us, but the, the Lord, the things of the Lord will not be taken away from us. We know security or, or job security or health or anything like that can be taken away from us in a moment. And so, um, but God, the scripture, the scripture will not be taken away from us. So how can you seek? How must we seek um, as we go through it? I think in the, the first thing, the first way we can seek is we can go deep. And, you know, it, it, that when I'm thinking about going deep in the scriptures, I'm reminded of what my dad has always told me um, throughout um, many um, years is, have you had your devotion? Have you had your devotion? Have you had your devotion? You know, in the past when I was single and footloose and fancy free, you know, it didn't mean anything. And it's like, I mean, I got it. I wanted to get it, but it didn't register how important it was now uh, that more stress and more pressure is on me, that I got to have my devotion. I mean, you eat three times a day, and so are you having your, your, your spiritual food every day? And he, he was a good example in uh, reminding me of that. And um, I think an analogy that uh, in his life um, that kind of brings it to light. And some of you may have heard this, but he, he's talked about this once, but I didn't realize it, but the Lord kind of prompted me to, to bring it to light here is when he was um, building the house in um, Shoal Creek. And he tore down several railroad houses to build the house, as many of you know, and there was heavy timber. And so when he was building the house back up, he had to reinforce it. And here we have a picture of the timbers that he was building. And, and in the corners, you know, you put the rebar in, you put the concrete in, and you, um, he had to do it a little extra because of the heaviness of the house and the heaviness of the weight of the wood. And people were kind of wondering, well, you know, why, why, are, you, why are you doing that? You know, it's kind of different. Um, but as we know in life, um, storms can come. Well, here you see, that's the house. But storms can come in life, and a storm did come down the valley of where that house was, and that house on that side of the road was practically only one, the last building left standing. And to me, it was just a good picture and a good reminder of that um, I want to be the guy who has his house in the rock because a storm's going to come. But when it comes, I want to be left standing. I think, um, just as a reminder, Matthew um, 7:24. Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, 
I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon a rock. In Matthew 7:25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. So I want to be the man who goes deep and sinks it deep and builds my house firm. So when those storms come, it doesn't rock me um, like it does when I'm worrying. And, you know, there are many ways to go deeper in life. And I think the Lord shows each one of us different ways. Um, one way I try to follow, and I'm not consistent with this, is but meditating every night 15 minutes, just 15 minutes every night. And that's, you know, scripture reading in the morning and um, memorization, you know, somewhere. Um, but meditating as well. So meditating kind of takes it further, takes it deeper. And another way I've found to go deeper in my relationship with Christ and get that anchor firmer is to pray more. Um, as I'm going to San Antonio on business trips, I like the news, I like politics, and I like to listen to the rush and, you know, the rest of them. But Lord, promise me, just, just turn it off. And news is not wrong. I'm not saying that's, not, that's wrong. But just turn it off and use this as a time of prayer. And many, you know, many important things to pray about. seems like there's something new every day. You know, my uncle, my uncle Bruce, you know, the gregarious guy who loves life and who actually got Sharon and was the catalyst in getting me and Sharon together, has terminal cancer. It's just amazing. But, you know, so there, there's an opportunity to pray as I'm going, an opportunity to turn the radio off and pray. But just the concept is be willing to do whatever God is prompting you to do to secure your foundation so you don't worry so you're ready for when the storm comes through. So the second way we can go, um, we can seek the things of the Lord, as God tells us in Matthew, is have a thankfulness list. Another thing my dad's always telling me, make a thankfulness list. Be grateful. You know, when, he, when it comes to Thanksgiving, his is like 100, and he's done that, you know, months beforehand. But as I thought, as I was wrestling with this um, worry problem this year, the Lord kind of brought to me with my thankfulness list and realized, wow, i got a lot of things to be grateful for. And the first area that I thought about was, and that is me, and I don't show you that because it's just a cute picture of anything, um, but that was, I'm not sure if that was maybe a year after I was born. Some of you may know this, but I was born with hydrocephalus, and it's a condition that causes um, water to, to seep into the brain faster and the brain gets bigger and all kinds of complications can come from it from you know nothing at all to a lot and you know just different things can come from it medical tests and and just consequences of suffering and um, my parents were walking through that and it was after about a I believe um, you have to correct ask my mother to get the story straight uh, it was a year of testing um, I, I was not getting any better, and I couldn't lift my head up. When I was the associate pastor in our church said, can I come down and pray for you? Can, can I, he asked my parents. He asked me. He asked my parents, can I come down and pray for you, um, pray for your son? And so he did. He did. came down, laid hands on me, and prayed for me. And that night I lifted up my head for the first time. And it was after, you know, the testing was done months or two after that, the non-Christian doctors didn't know what happened. They just wrote down in my medical records, healed due to an act of God. So when I look back at that and I think, Lord, I'm worrying about things now, and you have given me such a full life, and you've given me a life. You've given me, you've given me five healthy children and with no problems of hydrocephalus, no problems in anything, and, and praise God. And God might give us something different on number six, and that will be his 
sovereignty, but, you know, Lord, you've given me so much I can be grateful for just on this area. And I was thinking about the second thing. This might be a small thing we don't think about is being raised in a Christian home. And, you know, that's a small thing we take for granted. But to kind of keep my reality check going, I get voice of the martyrs. And I actually, sometimes it's kind of tense for the children, so I just read it at the office or something. But it helps me see, you know, voice of the martyrs and gospel for Asia. It helps me see families who are struggling to come out of darkness and who come out of darkness, praise God, by the works of these missionaries and other people, but who are just, you know, who are just struggling with sin. And, and God has placed me in America, and God has placed me in a Christian home with Christian parents, and I had that upbringing. And so that was a just encouraging thing to see. As, as Cody was telling me about Gerald Sarawaji in his book, some of you all may have read it and got it, he talked about um, coming over to America and going to a family and watching the family and then watching the, you know, just seeing how the dad treated the wife um, was completely different than what he had grown up with. I think, wow, Lord, I just, I'm so blessed to come from a Christian home. And the third thing I thought about as I was thinking of things that I was thankful for is my education turn. Um, Some of you may know that I I went the route that the Adams went, the Adams boy, and going through law school in California, and I was going to take the, the test there and become a lawyer. And if you do that, um, it may have changed now, the requirements, but um, I was going to probably have to practice law there because different states, most states don't allow it. Just California allows that. And so I took, but to start that program, you have to take the baby bar. So I took the baby bar three times. And three times, I didn't get it. And it was a no. And I was like, wow, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? And so the Lord directed me back to um, Birmingham, um, Alabama, into business. And several years later, we came up to thinking about Sharon Cade in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And, you know, we were, um, my dad and I were thinking, you know, how are we going to get a girl from Hattiesburg to Texas? And, but to put it in perspective, you know, I'm just going to put it. So here's Mississippi. Here's Texas. But here's California. So if I passed that test, I more than likely would have been practicing in California. Okay? So would I have ever met or ever had a chance with a girl from Mississippi? Um, maybe, but probably not. And so um, the Lord showed me how he had directed those three fails to put me in a spot where Sharon was um, able to grasp moving to Texas. She said she could grasp moving from the backwoods of Texas um, to a ranch in, from the backwoods of Mississippi to a ranch in Texas. And moving to California was kind of a bigger, would have been a bigger grasp. So I say, wow, Lord, that is another thing that I can be thankful for is the wife you've given me because you've given me an incredible wife and she's such a blessing. And those turn of events brought me to the Cades household. Um, so in a third way that we can seek the things of the Lord is be ready to suffer. I don't like pain. You know, I like things to end well. I don't like things to go well and happy. And I was just reading in uh, Michael Card's book, um, A Violent Grace. It's just a little book about the uh, testimony of Christ dying on the cross. And he says, 
The sounds of the first Christmas, the clip-clop of the donkey as Mary and Joseph enter the quiet streets of Bethlehem, the rustling of the straw as they make their bed for the night, the music of angels over those lonely hills and the cooing of the baby. You and I would like to keep it that way. Who wants to ruin, ruin a story of such beauty and hope without even a hint of pain? Certainly Mary and Joseph didn't, but when the proud parents took their newborn to the temple for his dedication, it was there, a hint, a scarlet thread. After Simeon, an elderly, devout temple attendant, blessed the child, he turned to Mary and said, A sword will pierce your own soul. His words were unexpected. How can Mary have understand them? How could she have not been frightened? Simeon's words were the first faint whisper that the grace baby Jesus had come to lavish on a fallen world would be bought at a terrible price. So suffering, as we can see by the example of Christ, is a part of this world. And, and, we, and we have to be able to get accustomed to that. And in some areas, you know, the strings of a violin play better when they're stretched almost to the breaking point. And in, in creation, you know, the, we see the creation cycle. We see the leaves fall off. They have to die um, for the spring to come and the new plants to grow up. Uh, a book, a very good book about suffering is Elizabeth Elliot, A Path Through Suffering. And um, I fully recommend it. Sharon has been blessed by it for years. And it just kind of shows an analogy to the plant's world of how as the plant dies, we must die in several ways. Um, James uh, Smith talks about it um, in uh, a paragraph here. Let me read this real quick about suffering and how we can understand it. How, how blessed is the fruit of affliction when we see God in it, that he is of great compassion and tender mercy, that his thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil. This is a difficult, most comforting lesson in deciphering the mysteries of God's providence. Under the severest chastisement, the child of God must acknowledge divine justice. Our gracious reward is always more and our chastisement always less than our iniquities deserve. Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Indeed, he is in trouble, but he's not in hell. If he complains, let it be of no one but himself and his own wayward choices. I know, Lord, that your judgments are right, and who can doubt God's perfect wisdom? So when we have the tendency um, to suffer, we can remember God has it in his plan. God's putting us on the right path, and God's drawing us um, to himself for a better plan, a better purpose. Um, So those are my reflections on worry. And my prayer is, as 2013 quickly fades into 2014, we're almost there, 2014, that I would remember, just in summary, remember the big God I serve, remember he loves me and wants a relationship with me and values me more than the lilies, remember I must, seek my, I must sink my mind deep into the foundation of his word so Satan cannot move it, remember to make a thanksgiving and praise list of what God has done in my life, And remember, I must die to my expectations and desires as the plant does for his glory to come in my life.